Praying for a City, an interview with Tara Wentworth. Thank you for joining me for Revival in My City. For those who want to see their cities transformed by the power of God, I hope this podcast will encourage, equip, and inspire as you pursue spiritual awakening in your own city. This is Cynthia Bryan. Today, I'll be interviewing Tara Wentworth. Tara was a bivocational minister and businesswoman for most of her life. She's also an author and a missionary. She has a passion for missions, for prayer, and for revival. She served in international missions many years in numerous countries around the world. She spent four years in Belize in Central America, working as a missions administrator. Tara's insight and wisdom have made her a valuable part of many ministry boards. She's a founding member of Community Transformation Incorporated, a multiracial, multidenominational group of men and women who are leaders in the community. This group has been effective at promoting prayer, partnership, and unity within the body of Christ. Tara, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you. It's a privilege to be able to be with you. When I first met you years ago, I felt an instant connection to you in the Spirit because of your passion for prayer and your vision for revival. Uh, How did you come to be so enthusiastic about prayer and revival? Well, I've been a Christian for over 50 years, about 55 and from the very beginning, prayer was just an important part. The, uh, my parents and another couple uh, who I grew up with in the Lord were all people of prayer. We used to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and have daily prayer times. And we learned the Holy Spirit that way. We learned uh, what pleased Him, what caused Him uh, pain, what grieved him. If somebody came in, one of the couples particularly came in with a, um, an odd against each other, the Holy Spirit did not show up until that was taken care of. It was a great learning time. That went on for a few years. Wow, that's so, that's so cool. Um, so you just grew up in prayer. Yeah, it was just normal part yeah. of life. Yeah. Um, what about revival? How did God capture your heart for revival? Same way. Uh, I was meeting, I was living in Miami, and uh, my brother got saved. And uh, as a result of that, he uh, began to uh, invite some of his friends. He was not a good guy. He spent some time behind bars and other things. Uh, But he began to invite his friends, and what he would tell them is, I'm going to turn you on to something brand new. And he, he had done that before. So they would come to this really posh house, Dr. Jones' house in Coral Gables, Florida, which was, uh, is now a gated community. At that time, was very nice homes. And um, they would come in, and they'd feel the Holy Spirit, and they'd end up getting saved. And revival came out of that. My, my dad and mom were both working. Uh, Dr. Jones was still practicing dentistry. But they would get up and have that prayer time still at 5 o'clock in the morning. Then as soon as work was over and and everything, they would spend the next three to four hours uh, ministering to these young people who were from every kind of imaginable walk of life except church. Most of them hadn't even darkened the doors of a church and didn't want to. But we were meeting in this beautiful home. And so revival just came out of that. We went for 
21 weeks without a break. I'm talking about every single day. And so uh, they counseled these kids, and some of them are in ministry now. Some of them, uh, you know, just did their own thing. My brother's been deceased since uh, 2012, but he led a lot of his friends to the Lord. Wow, that I didn't know that. That's amazing. So early morning prayer meetings for 21 weeks? Is that what you said? Early morning prayer continued way longer than that, but the, the revival was sustained without a break for 21 weeks. We went uh, every day, every night for 21. I've been talking about seven days a week. Yeah, and, and God just sustained. These are older people. They're uh, in their 50s at that time. And so these people were sustained by the Lord, but the power of the Holy Spirit just in their lives, the joy of the Lord. Wow, wow, that's amazing. So uh, what did that look like? Like, what, Why would you describe it as revival? Like, what was happening? Well, I think our own hearts were getting extremely excited about seeing God's miraculous work. At that time, it was more focused on evangelism and, of course, leading people to the Lord. We began to see people healed. We began to see deliverance, although it didn't look like anything that I ever would have called that. It just was happening supernaturally. People were coming out of lifestyles of uh, drug addiction particularly and a lot of other stuff too. Uh, and being totally set free. And the community of being together consistently, I think, is what helped these young people realize, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I, I think if they had to individually do it by themselves, it would have been much harder. So I think that's what causes revival is when people come together and they start seeing things happen that you know is Holy Spirit, and it just it sort of builds. So, so you had this experience of revival in a community, and uh, did that just kind of mess you up for oh, you know enjoying ruined. other things? Absolutely ruined. I um, was in college uh, when my parents received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I was brought up in a, a very good college group, but they did not uh, practice or preach the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and so my first option because I like to know what the Word of God says is I'm going to go to the Word of God, but you know, I, I don't think this is for today. That's what I was taught. And needless to say, their lives began to get even richer and fuller, and so it didn't take me very long. And I said, okay, Lord, I want this. So I did not get to go on staff for that, that particular organization because they said no. And uh, that's when God changed my life. I went off to Bible school in Texas, which was a full gospel. It's actually a Pentecostal Bible school, and began to learn about the fullness of the Spirit. And uh, again, we saw things happen out on the streets. I mean, that's a whole other segment of my life where we saw revival out on the streets. We were doing street witnessing, but people getting saved and delivered and healed, all kinds of things. Could you share a story from that time? Yes. Um, we were out on the streets, and uh, this will sort of date me, but uh, Francis and Charles Hunter. So anyway, we were uh, down at a place that they ended up witnessing to the um, 
bar owner and led him to the Lord, and he closed that. I have a a picture of the sign, but we were witnessing this guy out in front of it, and he uh, looked at me. He says, what are you high on? I said, nothing. And he says, nice. (laughs) And I said, well, actually, I confess, I'm high on Jesus Christ. He's the greatest high in life. I mean, we were so lit when we went out there (laughs) that people accused us of being on drugs. And um, and I I've seen this happen more than once where people that have been high on alcohol or drugs get sobered up immediately, and uh, and I could tell you story after story, <laughs> but but that guy he understood after we prayed for him. Yeah, so I didn't know all of this, and I understand your passion for revival now. Like you've you've been there and you've seen it, you know. Um, I've read the stories. You know, I've seen a little bit. You know, I've seen God move, but I've read the stories about that kind of thing. So many salvations occurring, just people coming to know Jesus. Say the Welsh revival, where um, years later they go back, and the people who experienced that revival are still just passionate for the Lord. And so I see that in you, like you've had that experience, you know, from from back in your youth, and you are you just have that fire for the Lord now. I know for many years your primary passion was uh, international missions, and and you went all over and and spent years in Belize. Um, I was personally really excited when a few years ago you said, "I feel like I'm called to Thomasville now," and. That may have been maybe a little disappointing <laughs> for you. I'm not sure, but I was super excited about it. And how did that happen? And um, and what was that transition like? Well, I'll back up to when uh, Dr. Jones passed away. Our overseer, uh, Wade Taylor, had come down to put uh, his son and myself into uh, positions of authority to take his place and Wade commissioned me and he says I only seeing see you getting more connected here in Thomasville I only see you being more uh, planted here in at Hebron Fellowship and went on and said a bunch of other things and I did not receive that word very well I don't know if he could tell it because he was a very spiritual man, but I, I didn't like that because I was doing a lot of international travel. And then a number of years ago, probably, I don't know, maybe four or five, six years ago, however long it's been, I was in Wisconsin ministering with a friend, and this gal comes up to me that didn't know me, and she says, I feel like I have a word from the Lord for you. And she says, I think the Lord is calling you home. And I knew he wasn't talking about going to be with him at this point in time. Uh, and so I said, well, thank you very much. I thought, oh, Lord. <laughs> so hearing that a second time, it's like God shifted something in my heart. And I came home. I said, okay, Lord, if this is true, then you're going to have to change my heart because I still have a heart towards uh, foreign missions and so forth. And he did. He began to change my heart. And so that's really how it did. And it's now like, if I don't ever leave Thomasville, Georgia, that would be fine with me. 
And that's a bit, a little bit of a transition to yeah. get there. Yes, I bet, I bet. Well, that that's so neat. And I've I've had this passion for Thomasville for for so long. And as I would see even people move to town and just say, well, they felt like they were supposed to move, or I felt like God was leading me here. That was just like encouragement to me, like, yes, revival is about to happen. We're going to see it. And so I felt that way when I'm like, if Tara is being called back to Thomasville, you know, God's moving and and we're going to really see a massive move of the Holy Spirit. How would you say your previous international experience affects your ministry now? I think one of the main things, because Thomasville is so multicultural and because Really, as a white woman, uh, I understand a little bit more about what a minority is like because I've been in countries where I've been looked down upon either as a woman or as a white woman in Belize. Uh, it was both. Mm. And so it, it has helped me to get a perspective on the racial situation and being in a multicultural area where we have so many different cultures represented here and I feel like God's going to do something that's going to involve all the cultures. Uh, so I have a, an understanding maybe from a little bit different perspective than a lot of people that have not traveled outside and have not been. But I, I love the different cultures. They each, I see it like a, a many-colored tapestry, you know, that God's been weaving. And, and he's just so excited about the beauty of each one of us and how he created us all uniquely and differently. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And some of the experiences I've had being with other cultures worshiping God, I mean, there's nothing like it. Oh, yeah. It, it Africa just stirs is, my heart. Africa is amazing. The, 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 the black culture here in the United States doesn't come close to the enthusiasm that I've seen in some African cultures. And, and they're enthusiastic here, too. That's, they that's are. What you're saying. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. Much more so than most uh, uh, white churches. Yes, yeah. Um, I wanted to, to ask you, uh, you've led prayer for years, different sized prayer groups, been a part of different prayer initiatives. Uh, what is your vision for a prayer movement in a city? Like, like what, what could that look like? Well, I've had to... I guess you use the word tweak. I've had to tweak my thoughts on that because when I came here 42 years ago, there, that was a passion and desire was to see prayer uh, engaged uh, across denominational borders, across racial borders. And my, my pastor at the time, Dr. Tom Jones, was uh, very passionate about that as well. And so we sort of collaborated and worked together on trying to see that happen. And that's uh, the precursor to CTI was another organization called TAMA, Thomasville Area Ministerial Association. And Doug and myself were a part of that, and it, it evolved uh, into uh, community transformation now. But the desire to see us all being able to work together, agree together, pray together, doesn't mean we have to believe the same way about everything as long as our foundations are solid. But, but there should be an ability to come together and allow one another to express their way of doing it, their way of seeing it, without judging them or without being critical in any way, but seeing a, a bigger part of the picture. And what it reminds me of is uh, the 
eight or ten blind men that were placed at different places on the elephant and asked to describe this creature. And, you know, one's got the tusks, so he's, he's feeling this smooth, uh, pointed thing. Another's got a tail. You know, he's feeling something different. One's got a big leg. Another one's got an ear. You know, they're all describing the same animal, but only a, the portion that they are feeling in this case. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like spiritually, when we come together as a group, one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. So exponentially, the more people that we have in true uh, unity and true agreement, then the more power we have to see things shift in the atmosphere. And that's been my desire for Thomasville, realizing that there are entities, evil entities here, like every place else, that influence people in negative ways. And there's going to come a point in time be so strong, light dispels the darkness. You don't have to chase it out. It just, when light comes on, it goes into every dark corner. And the more that we have the light of God in this community, the more the darkness will have to leave and dispel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, that's good. Um, so I was wondering what you thought about like small prayer groups. Like you've, you've talked about the group where we bring leaders together. How do you see prayer being effective in multiple small groups? I think um, just like the individual, each Uh, group is going to have assignments. The prayer group I was on the phone with this morning, our assignment started out one direction, but together the the five of us began to move together and sense Holy Spirit directing our prayers in a certain direction. That happens every week we get together. Uh, The little group that you and I are part of uh, I sort of sense the same thing. That's what I have desired it to be, is where not one person is manipulating or controlling the direction, but that everybody is sort of getting a feel for it. So if you've got three or five people, you get over seven or eight, it changes the di- dynamic of a group. Um, so if you can keep it small, then you've got cell groups, I call them sleeper cells, all over Thomasville, that are picking up on an assignment, there will come a point in time where we will communicate with one another. I see the bigger picture. I don't know how that's going to happen yet, but uh, there's, you know, from church to church, you have different people. Like we have at least three churches represented in our little group. My group that I meet with in, on Monday mornings are from three different locations. So we're, we're getting a whole different feel. Ours is a more, usually more national, although we've prayed a lot for Thomasville, for some very specific things for Thomasville. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was recently thinking about networking in prayer and just had a sense that that's something the Lord wanted to do. I know there are groups, there are people praying all, all over. over. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I've touched a few. You did too. You tried once before, like I have a number of times, to figure out a way to bring us together. Networking is one of my favorite words for that. And uh, it just it probably has not been God's timing yet. But I think the, the national and international situation is becoming so desperate that we're going to have to figure it out. And with all the technology now, I just see lots of potential and possibilities. I have a group of people that really carry that responsibility. And I think that's where we've been lacking. That's why I sort of separate out revival from awakening. Uh, awakening involves the church. 
much of this church is still asleep. Much of the church is walking in a place of fear and because of different things, COVID-19 for one, but different things are causing much of the church to retreat instead of come out and be the strong voice that we should be. So I'm hoping that as we evolve out of this, that so many good things are going to come as a result. So tell me more about the difference between revival and awakening. Well, this is my personal understanding, but revival, if you talk to most people in churches today, they would say that's a one-week, two-week opportunity. Usually it's focused on souls, which to me is one of the most important things that we need to be focused on. But uh, awakening is when the church begins to uh, realize who they are individually and begin to wake up and begin to uh, engage. Uh, The novel I wrote a couple years ago I I try to do that from a a perspective of a lot of truths and a lot of biblical concepts are presented there, but it was done from a fictional standpoint. I'm glad you brought up your book because I just finished reading it, (laughs) actually just a few hours ago. It's titled The Lord of Angel Armies. It's so instructive. I felt like it was a manual for intercessors and written as a novel. It was easy to read. I also found it really compelling. It pictured how God could use his people to gain victory in in crisis, like in the book, you're addressing crisis um, situations that that come up in the nation, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sort of timely. I, when yes. I wrote it a couple of years ago, we weren't at the place we're at now. To get this book, you can contact Tara at Tara Teville, T-A-R-A-T-V-I-L-L-E, at gmail.com. This contact information will be in the podcast description as well. I'll give you a discount uh, if you order it directly from me. Okay. Sounds like a great deal. (laughs) Why did you write this as a novel? Believe me, that was way out of my comfort zone. I've written uh, four or five books. And when I was coming back from a meeting with a friend of mine and uh, we were discussing Uh, the Frank Peretti kind of books. And I said, I wish somebody would write one from a positive perspective, uh, really lifting up the Lord more than the darkness. And the Holy Spirit came into the car. I was driving. I almost had to pull off. It was such a a powerful feeling. And my friend said, I think you're supposed to do it. I said, (laughs) no, that's way out of my comfort zone. But Long story short, I got home, and um, the next morning, I said, Lord, if this is really you, you're going to have to do it because I haven't got a clue. And he immediately, it was like almost automatic handwriting. I mean, I just start writing ideas, and it just started flowing. And that happened two or three times to get me kick-started. And then I had a couple other stalls where I didn't know what to do, and, and it just picked right back up every time I would pray and ask him, okay, Lord, how do I do this? So that's sort of how it came out. But I, I felt like I could uh, introduce a lot more concepts in the fictional narrative, although probably 95% of it is is for real, uh, you know, and, and there would be people that have, could probably relate to maybe 100% of it. I know Jesus used parables and stories, and sometimes you can 
connect with someone's heart. Like they can catch the vision through a story. Whereas if you went straight to their intellect and said, this, this is what I believe, or this is what is true. There's plenty of those kind of books out there. <laughs> um, it might even turn people off. But when you're reading a story, it kind of slips into your mind as a possibility. That's sort of what I'm hoping would <laughs> yeah. happen. Yeah. And it's just a, a great story about people who come together and through prayer and knowing their authority and their tools in the Word of God are able to defeat the plans of the enemy. So I've had the privilege of praying with you over our city many times. I've been in groups where you were the leader. How do you prepare to lead a group to pray for the city? Usually, I just am praying ahead of time and being sensitive to Holy Spirit and praying in the Spirit. And just a thought will come to me or um, just uh, maybe a scripture. A lot of times there'll be a scripture. A lot of times it will be just a, a direction of something we ought to focus on to start with. And because I'm praying with people that know how to follow the Holy Spirit, uh, it can go anywhere. And, and I love uh, when other people just get in the flow together. I don't want to control or lead. I want Holy Spirit to be the one. And He can speak through the most immature believer that yields to Holy Spirit. They don't have to be uh, a mature believer. They just have to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. Are there any instructions that you would give a new group that was coming together? It would depend. I think there are several parameters. One, uh, I've been involved in prayer meetings all my life, and I have to say many of them were very boring. Uh, many of them were not the kind of thing that I want would want to continue to do today. And I think a lot of people have experienced that very thing. You go to Wednesday night church, and it's called prayer meeting. And some of them really are prayer times, but many times they are lists of people that are sick, lists of people that um, they're having family problems and stuff like that. And it doesn't really leave room for the Holy Spirit to come in. And he may have a, an agenda. And one thing that we try to do at our church is allow the Holy Spirit to have his way. And sometimes that looks one way and sometimes that looks differently. But in prayer, if you can start that way with that premise, uh, having mature people who, who know the Word of God really is helpful. Keeping a Bible or a phone with your <laughs> Bible app on there uh, is really important because we need to be stay based in the Word of God. We don't want to go off base. So because I've been in the Word for 55 years, if I hear somebody praying off base, I'll try to bring it back in line with the Scripture and maybe afterwards or maybe have to correct during. It depends on how bad it is. It's usually not that bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned having the Word of God with you, a Bible with you. I know we've been in prayer many times, and someone in the group flips open their Bible. It's like they just had this idea from the Lord that they need to look up this passage and then read it, and it'll just be perfect for what we're praying about and just give us a little more insight into the heart of God, into the situation that we're praying about. Well, the other thing I do is I journal. And a lot of people do. A lot of people journal real differently. For me, I keep lots of different kinds of pads of paper and everything. But I I keep one that's particularly for uh, prayer times. 
because you want to go back and be able to look at that maybe and, and get insights from the direction that something went. There may be a scripture or just something somebody said that you need to pray into some more. So I think it's important to, to journal. That's so good. And I, I see you taking notes during our prayer time sometime. You know? And I think that it's so true that as we pray, as we're communicating with God, when we pause, like part of prayer is listening. Mm-hmm. A big part. <laughs> yeah, a big part of prayer, yes. And as we listen, like we'll, we'll just feel the need to pray about something that wasn't in our mind before, and that's the Holy Spirit directing us. I know I've, I've prayed in um, groups uh, that involve many denominations, and as people were praying... Um, I could hear, like, there, there would be something that someone prayed about that would just stir in my heart, and I would just have this feeling like, yes, yes, that's it. You know, that's something I need to pray about, you know, make a note of that. And then someone else is praying, and um, it might even be a meeting where there is a list, you know, we're going through, you know, and it's very structured. But as people are praying, you know, God just moves Anyway. Yes, he moves anyway. He he just wants to speak to us, and he wants to guide us in any kind of prayer he uses, and it's effective to change lives. Well, you know, if you were to define prayer, there are just so many different kinds, and most people only use petition. They don't even know about conversational prayer with the Lord. And the way you get to know him and the the way— you develop your prayer life to where it becomes uh, more effective is through intimacy and through abiding in Him. When you, when you really know His heart, I was out walking this morning, that's one of my prayer times, and I start praying for, uh, particularly for family, and something just gripped my heart because I felt the heart of God toward those in my family that, that don't know Him, and, and it causes me many times to weep, causes uh, my emotions to to just be stirred up. Um, but that's, that's what I'm talking about. It's, it's, it's communing with the Lord in such a way where you're feeling His heart. So it's not just coming out of your intellect, which is okay. Informed praying, praying is good. But you can go a step further and get into the place of intimacy, which is just incredible. Yeah, that's so good. Well, um, I think we are running out of time, (laughs) and so I could just talk to you all afternoon. Would you pray, however you feel led, for revival or for people seeking revival, whatever God puts on your heart? Sure. Father, we love you, and we desire to see you receive glory and honor all over this world. Lord, your heart is for people, and you've placed within us the desire to Reach out to others and let them know how good you are, how great you are, how wonderful you are. We want every single person to have the opportunity to come to know how amazing you are. Lord, we ask that you continue to stir up the hearts of believers. We ask that you awaken the church, wake up to their calling, to their destinies individually, corporately, as individual churches, and Lord, as a community that we would be what you have called us, a city set on a hill, that we would begin to uh, reach out with the light of the gospel and begin to affect 
not just our community, but other communities, even out into the state and the nation and the world as you send us out. Lord, we see nothing but greater opportunities to proclaim your, your fame and your goodness. So, Lord, we just commit this city to you, and we say we will be a city set on a hill. We will be a city that you are proud to call yours, and we will see the darkness dispelled and the light come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Tara. Thanks for listening to Revival in My City. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, review, or email me at Cynthia at RevivalInMyCity.com. I hope you will join me in praying. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done in my city as it is in heaven.